The content in this podcast is meant for mature audiences only, 18 and up, as some of it may be triggering and are difficult to listen to. Continuing Forward releases Rest, Virginia Dixon, from all liability related to any response to the following content. everyone to the rest podcast where our goal is to help each and every one of you displace confusion chaos and dis-ease in order to heal and find significance in life i am your host natalie williams and i am here with the author of the reconstitution method for healing and rest virginia dixon good morning natalie good morning we're back at the villa yes we are it's beautiful place to work yes oh my gosh it's amazing out here So Riley Schutz is back to continue our conversation surrounding our topic about addiction, a banquet in the grave. Welcome back, Riley. Thanks, guys. So, Virginia, I know that today we're going to be talking about a rather heavy topic and controversial in many communities. So would you mind kind of prefacing that for us today and for our audience who honestly probably doesn't even look at this side of our reality? I'm happy to at rest we're about healing the whole person. Mm-hmm. And as you know, Natalie, I work with a lot of people that die. Yeah. And when the spirit leaves the body, something very tangible, very accessible, very real is gone. Mm-hmm. It is negligent to attempt to coach, to mentor, to disciple, to counsel people into a place of healing without addressing the spirit, the soul, and the body. Some of the topics we're going to be discussing today are uncomfortable for some people, and some people don't believe in the spiritual realm, and that's okay. Mm-hmm. Everyone has the liberty to choose what they do with their time and what they listen to. But my deepest convictions are that given what we're facing in this country and globally, frankly, it is negligent to dismiss the function of the spiritual world how it interacts through the soul of the man who's the primary sphere of governance Mm -hmm. and the implications it has in a body, in relationships, in a family, in a community, in a sphere of influence, in a state, and in a nation. Mm -hmm. For that reason, we need to discuss the spiritual realm as we address addictions. So if you're listening to this and you would like to exercise your liberty and maybe pass on this episode, that is absolutely okay. But we want to dive into this conversation, so I'm going to hand it back over to Riley. It's so fun to have this discussion in a peaceful, quiet place because Mm -hmm. during the course of a day's work, we smile at each other, we nod, high-five each other, but beyond that... (laughs) It's difficult to sit down and really have meaningful conversations about where we've been, mm-hmm. just even looking back yeah, and discuss the things that we're experiencing. And we have our finger on the pulse of cultural things, right? Mm-hmm. Of the family, of industry, of trade, of political things, and all kinds of different industries and trades. And certainly the heart and soul of the individual is front and center, right? Yeah. And healing the whole person, mm-hmm. which, by the way, is the fr- primary sphere of influence of everything, is yeah. the whole person. And that's why we always 
go back to that, but it's kind of fun to be able to discuss these things at a whole different level. Yeah. So Riley, it occurred to me this morning as I'm preparing to head out to address a group of board of directors whose influence reaches half a million kids. Mm -hmm. It occurred to me that at the end of the day, rest is about inviting people to consider a shift of focus, perhaps, to expand the conversation beyond the conventional challenges that we were facing. But the shifting focus is really from the external and the brutality of the things we need to deal with into, wait, what's the root cause of these things? And ultimately landing in the reality that we're dealing with broken hearts and shattered souls that are the consequence of decades of neglect or being distracted, perhaps. We ended last week's podcast with this conversation, Addiction, A Banquet in the Grave. And the title came from a book that I found most compelling. And although I read the book, I never got past the title. Because intuitively, I think when people are caught up in addictions, they do have these moments of clarity, usually the day after, (laughs) or as they're embarking on the patterns or the cycle during which they use approaches, either this ravenous anticipation of what I get to do next, Mm -hmm. or this, oh no, here comes nightfall. Mm -hmm. And dread. Dread. So we ended up last week, Riley, we kind of got into aspects of your story. But the thing I want to summarize our discussion last week with is the concept that behind the what I would consider destructive and maladaptive and addictive behavior that you were engaged in involving drugs, sex, and alcohol, which, by the way, is a voice of a generation. It's just mainstream stuff for your generation, was a broken heart and a shattered soul. And we touched on the abuse, the sexual abuse that had gone undetected. And I profoundly believe that that is at the root of addictions. Whether it's ours or that of our parents or that of our ancestors, these unresolved conflicts and pain and anger and shame are passed on generationally, whether we're aware of it or not. Mm -hmm. And I think you addressed it, but we landed in a place that's not very comfortable. Before we move on, for a lot of people, which is dealing with the spiritual realm of an addiction. I think we're all well acquainted with the mind, the heart, the will, the conscience, the feelings that come accompany an addiction. Those are all functions of the soul. And we're all pretty clear on the anatomy, right? What is the physiological, neurological, anatomical consequence of an addiction? I think we all know more about that than we ever wanted to know. But the spiritual constitution of an addiction is not always mentioned. Before I delve into that, Riley, give us a summary. What do you want people to understand and know about your pilgrimage and dealing with that measure of pain and how it manifested in your life? I was numb and distracted 24-7. I always felt miserable on the inside for as long as I can remember. People probably didn't notice that from the outside, but I think I was just so good at internalizing everything. 
but because all of the work that we did do for those four, five, six months got me to a place where I was finally, okay, things were looking up, things were looking great. What began to give you hope? You talked earlier today while we were having breakfast about, I began this podcast talking about our focus is to really help people shift their perspective, shift their focus on how they view things from the external behavior things to the internal and unwrapping the internal conflicts that lead to the addictive behavior, right? Or to the addictions. And you said that that was really significant and transformational. Can you explain that? Yeah, I think for me, for the longest time, I always focused on doing these external things like affirmations and just self-development stuff, listening to the right people, reading the right things that on the surface level should help me grow. But because there was so much inner turmoil, I never really got anywhere with that. And it didn't really stick. No. And I would say probably about a year before I started working with you, a year and a half, two years was when I really was on this journey of I realized that I was broken on the inside to a certain extent. And so just in the different things that I was pursuing at that time, I focused a lot on self-development and how to help myself, which is completely external. And I found myself still super frustrated, even whenever I would confide in people that I trusted that were helping me on that path. I always felt like I was hitting a wall. Like I was doing all of these right things, but it was never getting me where I felt like it should be getting me. I was just at a place. It's like, I don't know how many times I can tell myself I love myself. I'm a great person, this and that, all of these affirmations, which everyone in the world today is all about doing affirmations and this and that. And I just got so frustrated because it's like, I'm telling myself this all the time, but I don't feel any differently. And I feel like with the rest, it was like, okay, well, why do you hate yourself? Let's get to the, let's not just say, oh, I love myself. But now I felt like I could finally get to the root of all of these things that That were lies that I didn't believe about myself. Right. The lies that I believed about myself. I feel like I could finally, you just helped me realize, yeah, getting to the root of that and how it's, they're not all separate. Yeah. And there's definitely a comfort that comes knowing that you don't have to go to a church and then you have to go to a therapist and then you have to go to the doctor. Like it's all in one place. I love hearing you say that. And I appreciate your perspective. We talk a lot, Natalie, about the whole person is a spirit that's working through a soul, mind, heart, will, conscience, feelings. And the consequence of that is in a body. Mm -hmm. So we talk about the triune constituents that make up the whole. And so the self-improvement, the focus on self, the external, that's only one third of the equation. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I feel like I was, in a sense, it was just a band-aid solution to what was really going on internally. And I feel like when I met you, I finally had that hope of, okay, all of these external things that I'm doing, they're great, but they're not solving the root issue. And it's like, I know all of those things would be very beneficial for me Mm -hmm. if I'm able to first get to the root issue. Right. They're great for building habits once the root has been taken care of. Because before I met you, I started developing great habits, but I'm still living this other life on the other side of things. So it was 
in a sense, I feel like it was making me even more miserable Mm -hmm. because yes, I was growing as a person to some degree on one side, but at the same time, I'm still so broken doing all the same stupid things that I was doing and trying to somehow reconcile that because I'm doing all of these great things over here, it's okay that I'm still. Mm -hmm. I actually relate to that quite a bit. It's a very frustrating feeling when you're trying to further yourself and you're trying to get better. But at the same time, there's, it's almost like you're trying to take steps forward with a bungee on your back. You guys ever done that? They usually have them at fairs and things where you try to get as far as you can, as many lines up the ladder as possible to win a prize or whatever. And it just pulls you back. Yeah. And you, you smack against a wall. I mean, that's what it feels like. That's where I constantly was. Yeah. That's all the time. And crazy making. As a man thinks in his heart, so he is. Mm -hmm. You've got to get to the heart of the matter. Right. The heart, meaning embryonic, right? Mm -hmm. In in all of ancient literature, the mind and the heart are spoken of interchangeably. Yeah. That's the person. As a Man Thinketh was one of the books that, I mean, I even told you this recently. I have read that book over 60 times. Yeah. And... I'm like, why is this not sinking in? Like, yes, I get it. My thought life as a man thinks in his heart. So he is. But it was like something for some reason would not click. Mm -hmm. To build on what you're saying. If a whole person is made up of a spirit that's working through a soul in a body and we neglect to address the inner workings of the soul, the mind, the heart, the will, the conscience and the energy sources the existential resources that we access, right? Good and bad, God or Satan, things that are light or dark, positive or negative thoughts. We all know what those are. However you want to address the polarity of the opposing things we have to choose from, those things have an energy. They have a field of energy. In rest, and Natalie, you know this very well, and you've had to deal with it like nobody I've ever worked with has had to deal with. I talk about laws of nature, things that are self-evident and speak to our natural affections. And I want to break that down a little bit. Because last week I said I had no one to send Riley to. And that was, to be honest with you, terrifying. Because I had reached the resources that I was comfortable with going to. Then I had to reach the often private resources that I don't speak about very often. Actually, I speak about them all the time, but I don't unwrap them publicly very often. And that is the spiritual constitution of things. And when you peel back the layer of everything we experience, we have to come to grips with philosophy and theology. What's true and what's not about God is or God isn't. So I want to take the conversation that direction now because this is where we kind of left off. And I feel like I need to build a defense for what we experienced Mm -hmm. so that people don't think they're crazy if they're experiencing something similar. I work with a lot of cancer patients, as you both know. And as a team, we pray for them Mm -hmm. and we work with them. We serve them and their families. Yeah, And I'll tell you, Every single day, I can't wait to get out of bed Mm -hmm. because we understand the emotional and the spiritual contributing causes of diseases and how they can sustain the life of the body or diminish it. We have to work with the dynamics that we're speaking about in general terms, in terms of the soul, 
the mind, the heart, the will, the conscience of a person, and the existential, the spiritual understanding of how all that works every single day. And by the grace of God, we have and very effectively use incredible technology that helps us prove to people the disparity between what their body's telling us and the stories they're telling themselves. And that's why I was able to help you so quickly, Riley. That's why I had so much hope was when you scanned me and just the things that I had read, it was like, I did not have those words. I intuitively felt that, but I did not have the words to say that is how I'm feeling. Right. The body will reveal what the soul cannot utter. And now we've got to establish a framework from which people can reason and build a sense of confidence. And I just want to put a few thoughts out there. There's two options we all have. Creator, God, design-centered, or self-centered. Those are the two options. There's really nothing in between at the end of the day. You peel back the layer of all philosophical and theological discussions, and at the end of the day... In the beginning, God created, or in the beginning, by chance, man just became out of nothing, and he just is. Mm -hmm. On the God-created side, to reason from that premise, which rest is all about, Mm -hmm. we believe that in the beginning, God created. There are laws of nature. What are laws of nature? Gravity. Gravity, laws of physics. There's all kinds of laws in science. You can just go Google them, right? That imply design. Mm -hmm. Something holds everything together and we don't understand it, but it just is. And there's these consistent laws that might be suspended temporarily, but they cannot be ultimately opposed and sustain life at the same time for anything but a temporal length of time. So laws of nature, self-evident truth. To substantiate self-evident truth, The fact that we don't worry about so many things like breathing, like the rotations of the earth and the earth around the sun, the laws of nature that sustain life are so fine-tuned that I don't spend a nanosecond thinking about if I'm going to wake up tomorrow. Mm -hmm. Or if the sun will rise tomorrow. Exactly. I don't worry about it. Why? Because it's self-evident that something's holding everything together. Mm Mm-hmm. And number three, I talk about our natural affections. I have a measure of peace and comfort in knowing that the intelligent creator, God, holds everything together according to the counsel of his will to sustain the fundamental law of nature, which is the preservation of life. Mm -hmm. And those three things, laws of nature, self-evident truth that appeal to our natural affections, are what I draw from to get a Riley Mm-hmm. from a place of utter despair in less than a year, combating and defeating things that would otherwise sabotage her. Riley, I'll never forget you walking into my office, never, ever forget, looking at me and handing me an envelope and saying, I have a gift for the foundation for rest. And you handed me an envelope with a $1,000. And I just could not believe it. And you said, It's just money I would have spent on drugs, and you saved my life. I will never, ever, ever forget that. I just got a lump in my throat, and of course, I didn't want to use a penny of it. I just wanted to stare at it and frame it, because nobody's ever done that. 
you left it on your desk for a solid two or three weeks. I think you even taped it on like on the inside of one of your cupboards. Yeah, you left like you didn't touch <laughs> it. Still you just there? wanted to look I could at use it. it back now. <laughs> At this point, <laughs> that's amazing. I changed her focus from the external self to the internal creator God that had a design and a purpose for you. Self-evident was that everything inside of you, you don't have to hold yourself and your life together. That something else sustains your life. And maybe you could trust it. And then your natural affections was, I don't have to depend on my power or myself or my accomplishments, this ultimately doesn't depend on me. It depends on understanding that I was made on purpose for purpose and my life has meaning. Mm -hmm. And if there's a designer behind this chaos that I find myself in, then I need to learn what that looks like and what that means because he'll help put me back together again. Mm -hmm. If he created me out of nothing, he's going to help me come back together again. I just think it's crazy how you got me to a point where for years, I mean, from high school all throughout college, I could never imagine a life without socially drinking or doing drugs or going and hooking up with someone that just seemed unfathomable. And within maybe a month of working with you, all of those things and desires that I once had almost disappeared completely. I'm glad you said that. Do you know why? Because the focus shifted from the external brutality of the things you'd witnessed, which we cannot get into the brutality and the reality of the things you experienced, because I don't want to trigger a listening audience. I think people that are dealing with this understand it. But the shift changed from the brutality of those things, rightly. Well, this was even before we realized the brutality of those things. This was even just when I thought I was coming in for my brother and I was already in such a broken place that that seemed like it was rock bottom for me. And so before we even got into all of that deep stuff. But for me, I saw how dark, dark was, especially when I was losing you and you'd almost go into these minor convulsions and you would check out and pass out and you wouldn't come to for a few hours. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, I realized how serious it was, but I can't lead you to a place that I've not been. I can't help you understand something or trust or believe in something that I am not certain and absolutely, completely sure that I know is the total, complete truth, and I'm willing to bet my life on it. Because I took risks with you as I take with people that I bet my life on it. Not because of therapeutic processes and conventional therapy, but because they're congruent with laws of nature, things that are self-evident that speak to our natural affection. Specifically, I know there's a creator, God, that intricately sustains my life and has created me and you with even greater intricacy. And you are of immeasurable value, as is every single person who walks through my door. So I know that I need to persuade you slowly and help you step into a place of reason so that you can believe in the merit of the process that you have a creator God who loves and protects and sustains your life. I needed you to surrender to that truth or the option is how you had already been living, which you walked having to manage, handle, navigate, and 
deal with life on your with your own resources like you said with all the affirmations with all these po- the positive thinkings the great books and all those things that's wonderful and it has a place it's not sufficient and it will save the life of absolutely no one mm-hmm. that's why when i hear people talk about affirmations it literally makes me physically sick because we're putting a band-aid on a dam yeah yeah well that's definitely the point that i was at for the year and a half, two years before I met you, I thought this was, I mean, I was very fortunate. The environment that I was in, it definitely pulled me out a little bit, but it wasn't what I needed. It wasn't fully what I needed. Yeah. I needed rest. Yeah. Look, we each deal with confusion, chaos, and disease. And Riley, I saw this from day one in you. I didn't understand what I was dealing with, but I saw the complexity of it. I knew that our loving creator, God, would walk me through every single step as I could digest and process the brutality of what I was facing with you. When I stepped into your presence, there was utter darkness, and I felt it, and you felt it. And I had to either process and trust that God would guide, protect, and lead and give me insights as I could process them, or I could ignore and default to my own methods of handling things and wonderful work of other researchers that have come before me that I intuitively knew were limited to deal with what I was dealing with. A practical example is we've all walked into situations that you know are dark. You went back to Colorado, you had an experience, and I want you to talk about that briefly, where you knew it was utterly dark, and you had an opportunity to talk to God about it, to reach for the existential experience where we find God, and He'll speak to us intimately, or you could have ignored it, picked up a drink, blended in, and called it a day. Mm Mm-hmm. And I gave you the resources to do the former. But tell us about that situation in Colorado. Before you left, you looked at me and you said, I'm going to be okay. Because I wasn't feeling comfortable with the trip. You'd asked me advice. I wasn't comfortable with it. But I said, trust yourself. You have the capacity to self-govern. You need to access these resources. You need to go practice. But I don't feel good about the trip. But you know what you looked at me and said? You looked over your shoulder and said, Virginia, I'm okay. I'm living my best life. Do you remember that? I did. Tell us what happened. Before I went to Colorado, this was probably, I don't know, five months of working with you. And I was at the point where I felt like I was doing great. And I also hadn't seen any of my friends from college since I moved to California. And so this was like a time for me to go back and see all of my friends in Colorado. Which I was very uncomfortable with. And I know you, I know you were, but I was at a place. I was like, no, it's fine. Like I can do this. And I don't even, the friend that I stayed with, I don't think I even ever told them this story of what happened. I don't think I really told anyone, but you, but I went to visit my friends and at this point I wasn't really drinking or doing anything like that. And I went to visit them while one of them had people over at their place And as soon as I walked into their apartment, there was just, I felt something in the air, this heaviness, this almost fog. It just felt dark, but I didn't have words for that. I didn't know up until this point, I didn't know 
what any of that was. And as soon as I walked in, I mean, my friends, everyone was drinking, they were smoking, they were, I think some people might have been tripping, people were doing ketamine, all just all kinds of things that to me, it was like, oh my gosh. And it wasn't the cigarette smoke that you were feeling. It was spiritual. Yeah, it wasn't the weed. It wasn't the nicotine. And just as soon as I walked in, it was like, oh my gosh, we, how are one, how are they still doing this almost every night of the week? And two, it was like, I can't believe, like I felt in that moment how far I've come that I was like, I cannot believe I used to do this. this. Yeah. Basically we'd cleared enough debris and you had a new set of lenses. So when you walked into those situations, you immediately saw, whoa, you really saw into the spiritual realm. And continuing into that story on that note, whenever I saw my friends, it was like I didn't see my friends and some of their eyes, I swear it was like I saw black holes in their eyes or fire in their eyes. Some of them, it was like, this weird ring of light. And whenever I was, the longer I was in there, I literally felt like I was on a trip. Like I felt like I was hallucinating, seeing all of these things, all of these things that I would typically see when I would do things like acid or mushrooms. I felt like I was seeing and I was completely sober. Wow. And to me that scared me and just my friends, they didn't look like my friends. It was like they were animals just the way that they Pharmakia, were walking right? and just interacting with each other. It was like I was in a completely different world. It's kind of giving me anxiety talking about it right now. But the friend... Because the body keeps the score mm-hmm. and the trauma of the physiological. Your eyes are tearing up. No, it's because every... so, And that's just a reaction for me is that any time that I am in a discussion about something that's heavily spiritual or any time that I've, and I've been in situations like that too. Uh, I haven't seen what you've seen, but I can feel it all. So even Mm -hmm. you just talking about it, like I can feel the darkness. Like I totally understand what you're talking about and the heaviness of it. And every single time it makes me tear up. Every time I pray, even it makes me tear up. It's just my body's reaction. And my mom is the same way. Anytime that we are in a heavy prayer, anytime that we are in a, heavily like spiritual area whether it's dark light whatever we start to tear up a little bit you feel it yeah we feel it heavily once the veil is down once the debris of confusion chaos and disease once some of your pain is negotiated and you have the courage and the capacity to bring it in the open and honestly module one rest puts everything so much in perspective then you have a different measure of sensitivity when you step into bars Mm -hmm. when you step into certain social situations it's not judgment and condemnation towards the people it's a whole different level of perception you literally see spiritual things almost materialize and you saw them materialize in the eyes of your friends Mm -hmm. yeah and it for me it was crazy because it was like wait am i sober right now what am i questioning your own Yeah, yeah and i remember the friend that I had stayed with, she and I, we were like, okay, let's leave. It was, I was so disappointed. I was so excited. I hadn't seen my friends literally since right after my brother died and I moved to California. And so I was so excited to go back and see them. And I was disappointed. It's not even a good enough word to use by just 
how they were acting, the things that they were doing. And it wasn't from like a judgmental standpoint. It would just made me so sad. What made me so upset was that they fully knew how my brother had died. And I get it, you know, it's, they weren't related to him so that it didn't have the same effect, but to see them doing some of the things that was in his system when he died. Mm. So nonchalant, like they could care less. It just hurt me so much because it was like, do you not understand? And I don't blame them for it. Cause I couldn't say that I would make a different decision if had it not been my brother, had it been one of them. But I remember my friend and I, we decided to leave. We didn't even stay there too long. And I still don't think I ever mentioned this to her, the things that I had saw, because I think I was still fully processing it. But when we left, we were walking out. I felt something latch on to my back. Mm. And it was, it felt like, Mm. the only way I can describe it is like those little monkey backpacks that parents put on their kids. It was like something latched on to me like that. And I heard, I thought I heard a voice. I didn't know if it was my thoughts, but just this weird, you'll be back. Mm-hmm. I had no idea what that, that meant. I have goosebumps hearing And that. then I remember we walked out and the door, she walked out first and then I did. And then the door behind me just slammed shut and there wasn't anyone right there. Wow. And I know people are listening to this and are relating to your story Perhaps you're giving them the courage Mm -hmm. to connect their personal experiences to things they need to consider and ponder beyond just condemning themselves for their behavior and their use. Perhaps this is a window into when you use drugs, when you get wasted, it doesn't matter. You are opening yourself up Mm -hmm. to spirits and princes and principalities of this present darkness. We've all entered into situations and have had encounters and have thought something's not right here. But what do we do? We generally dismiss it, pick up a drink Mm -hmm. and blend in. Yeah. And well, I want to encourage people not to do that. I mean, just looking back on it in that moment when that happened, I remember I was trying to process everything And I even started second guessing myself, like, am I crazy? Did I just see all of that? Is all of that happening? And I remember I couldn't wait to come back and tell you because I needed to know one, I wasn't crazy, but two, that was that incident was just the beginning of everything that I was about to experience. Mm. And I realized that all of the great work and progress that I had made with you, Virginia, the more I got the trash out of my life, drinking, doing drugs, hooking up with people, the more I got rid of all of those things that I was doing that wasn't serving me well was when all of this dark stuff started to appear. Materialize. And I don't think it necessarily just started to appear. I think it was always there, but I finally started seeing into the things that I was doing that I'd never saw before. Word of caution, when a person makes a decision to turn the other way, to repent, Mm -hmm. to completely do a 180, you can expect a lot of pain, a lot of hardship, Mm -hmm. a lot of opposition, a lot of clarity, a lot of freedom, and a lot of amazing people to come around you to say you can do it. Yeah. So it's almost like a battle. Something else that I wanted to point out 
you only do what you know and you only know what you learn. And Riley, you had mentioned how you felt stuck in just doing these affirmations and this self-improvement type stuff until you stepped out of your comfort zone and started learning new things. And same thing with Virginia. Virginia had taken you to the end of her resources when this next sequence in your healing started. And mm-hmm. she had to branch out her own resources and learn even more and step into that with you yeah, to keep that healing journey going. Because yeah. at the end of the day, I think we all see... And we all understand that evil is real. Yeah. And evil is not in an institution. It's not in the gun. Evil's in the heart of a man. Yeah. And men use institutions. Men use power. Men use guns. Mm-hmm. Men use the resources. It's transformation has to happen in the heart of a person. And when I say men, I'm referring to men. Men, are, men and women men and have women. choices. Yeah. As to how they use the resources, it's according to the discretion of the soul. But last week, we ended up discussing briefly that it's almost impossible and it's unjust to address addictions without having the courage to delve deep into philosophy, what's true and what's not about God is and God isn't. And you can't talk about God without talking about the devil. Mm-hmm. Can't talk about angels without recognizing there are demons. Mm-hmm. We talk about it all the time. Yeah, I have this demon. This demon, it's like a demon, and we reference it all the time. Of course, we do. Yeah, because it's self. It's a law of nature. It's self evident. It speaks to our natural affections. We intuitively sense evil. Mm-hmm. But I think when we were really at the verge of a major breakthrough, things began to materialize in Riley's yeah. room. Yeah, I feel like my trip to Colorado, that was just the beginning. It was the trigger. Completely new phase of healing that I would have to go through. New dimension. Yeah, that I never... It's just so crazy because, yes, growing up in church my entire life, I knew these things were real because that's what I was taught, but no one ever talked about them in a realistic sense of how that manifests in your life. I feel like it was always this kind of not fairy tale, but like a just made up story. It was a footnote. It was a footnote in sermons and people don't want to talk about it. But I mean, it showed up at my door. They either don't talk about it or they build a theology around Satan and demons. And that's false. Man is giving the capacity to self-govern. We have all the power and the authority, but we need to understand the things that oppose us and what opposes us and who opposes us. Mm -hmm. And it isn't just ourselves and the world around us. It's complicated. Yeah. But I think the thing that I, I just wanted to interject really quick, Riley, is I really helped you understand, no, that in the beginning there's a creator God and the greatest gift of God was a capacity for a man to individually self-govern. That little narrative about the tree in the garden, that's where civil government was established. There was one law, do not do this. So they had to choose and they could exercise their liberty to secure their freedom. Mm -hmm. Liberty, internal function of the soul. Freedom is a consequence. And something as fundamental as of that became your lifeline. It's like, yes, Evil is not going to go away, but you have the power and the authority 
through the atonement, and I believe through the teachings of a person that lived 2,022 years ago, Christ, right? That to experience this radical transformation and have dominion over evil. And that's at the heart of rest. But I can talk about it in the context of science. But at the end of the day, we do have to address, hey, God is or I am. Right. Or maybe I am because God is and I'm made in his image, spirit, soul, and body to have dominion over things if I come into alignment with what? Laws of nature, things that are self-evident and speak to our natural affections. And I think that's why you started experiencing the things that you did is because the more in alignment you became, the more aware that you were of the things within and the things external as well. Yeah, definitely. That trip was the beginning of something that I never, one, I never hope anyone has to experience, but two, I never thought I would have ever experienced the things I've experienced. But that's what ultimately brought me to the villa was a couple of weeks after that trip, I had just gotten a very expensive dog that we spent a lot of money to get trained. He was going to be my emotional support animal and I he, I was going to take him everywhere. So I was doing the most to train him well. So anyways, there was this one night after that trip I had made maybe a couple weeks later that in the middle of the night, it was probably, I don't know, 12, one. He was standing in the bed and I woke up to him crying and growling at something and he was shaking on the bed which is weird I mean he usually sleeps all night and then all of a sudden he started peeing in the bed Mm. and so I freaked out when I was pissed off I'm like you just it's midnight and you just peed on my bed but he was literally shaking for hours so I cleaned all that up whatever and I just kind of held him the rest of the night, but I remember I did not have a good night's sleep at all. Like I woke up feeling completely restless. Like I had no idea what happened to me. Felt like I was in some kind of, like I was wrestling with something all night. And that's when I woke up and I was changing the next morning and I noticed there were scratches on me and they weren't scratches from him. I mean, I know what his scratches look like. They're not. I photographed him. And there were scratches on my chest and on my back. And so I kind of freaked out. And that's when I called you. It was like a Saturday. Um, And you had me come meet you at the office. That's right. And you lifted up my shirt. And I remember you were like, oh, are you sure you didn't do this or he didn't do this? And I'm like, I don't. I never scratch myself at night. And he. I asked you to turn around and let me look at your back. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And that's when you asked me to come home, come to the villa that night because something wasn't right. And you wanted to see what happened, what was going on. Because I think probably from after that trip to that point, I was telling you that I wasn't sleeping well. Weird things kind of seemed to be happening. Well, things would seem to be deteriorating rather rapidly when you came to the villa. Sure enough, at about one in the morning the convulting started. And then I began to connect the dots that it was similar to the response you had during the day. We went through about a week of seizure-like symptoms, called everybody, turned every stone, read every medical journal, read every psychiatric journal, read everything, called therapists, you know, called everybody you can imagine. 
And as you know, we work with uh, neurotechnology that's very, very effective. Nothing was touching this. And in desperation one night, not desperation, but I knew my routine. I would pray and I literally heard God say, take authority over it. And when I commanded it in the name of Jesus and by the power and authority of the Holy Spirit to tell me his name, he said, Carter, in a man's voice. And I asked him, how did you get in? He laughed and he told me how he got in. And I commanded it out. And just like that, like shutting off a light, it completely stopped. Mm -hmm. And Riley was like always catatonic, passed out in my arms. And I don't know what came over me, but I wanted to know if she could hear, if she was aware. And I said, Riley, squeeze my finger if you can hear me. And I felt her pulse Mm -hmm. squeeze, very gentle squeeze. And I thought, oh my gosh, she's aware of this. Mm -hmm. And then I put my hand in the center of her forehead and I said, lean your head forward. If you can hear me, nod your head. And she nodded. And then I knew I had a connection with her. And I said, Riley, do you remember this and this in a traumatic event? And and I said, just nod your head and tell me, yes, how old were you? Were you 10? Were you 12? Nod her head. So I began to get answers. And the root cause of the traumas, one by one by one by one, mm-hmm. through repeated encounters with different demonic entities, which, by the way, every single one of them gave me a name. And at 2 and 3 in the morning, I was Google with these names sometimes they were letters and i had to put it together and then i was realized i realized we're dealing with princes and principalities of this present darkness we're dealing with this fear of governance in the spiritual world that i knew absolutely nothing about i had no idea and then i'm realizing the things she'd exposed herself to was satanic ritual abuse yeah and it became really serious business. And then I employed the help of the author of Healing the Shattered Soul, Jim Hanley, Dr. Charles Kraft from Fuller Seminary. And I employed the the help of, honestly, scholars and academics that understood this field of study that I never cared anything about, Mm -hmm. frankly. And that's when we began to access the brutality of the trauma that she had undergone. And I will say every single time she threw up. Yep. There was always vomiting every single time. The vomiting wasn't just during those instances in the middle of the night. They continued throughout the day. And that's when I knew she was being, the the opposition was there. So we had to deal with things through the body, the spirit, and the soul all together simultaneously and relentlessly for nine, a year, months. It's I been mean, almost a year. Yeah, there was times, there were times that I connected it to a trauma, but there were also times where I would wake up the next morning where I felt like I had been completely violated. Like there was some, I I mean, there were mornings, I remember specifically, maybe this was in the middle of the night, I don't know, but I remember telling you, that it felt like I was being raped by hundreds. Mm -hmm. 
of people at one time. It was like back to back to back all night long. It was horrific. But there were multiple. Yeah, this went on for months. I mean, it wasn't always that. Sometimes it was something else. But I was being assaulted at night. Every night. And sometimes in the morning. Mm-hmm. Yeah. When we got closer and closer and closer to dealing with the honest entities mm-hmm. behind the assaults, they became bolder. And in the middle of the night, there was one specific one, and I don't want to say names, but yeah, we're not going to give them power on this. No, and it doesn't matter. But he laughed at me and began to speak to me in a man's voice. And I remember I had to hold on to Riley with everything I had and remind myself, this is somebody's daughter. Mm-hmm. And I felt so powerful and righteously indignant mm-hmm. and bold that I thought I will die a thousand deaths if we don't finish this well. Defeat isn't even an option. All power and authority then I realized in heaven and on earth has been given to us as individuals. We have power and authority over dark forces of this present darkness. Mm -hmm. And it was the heart of a mom, I think, that caused me to say, hell no. Yeah. Really. Mm -hmm. Hell no. You are nothing. You have nothing. We are children of the Most High God. We are created spirit, soul, and body in the image of a living God, specifically for His pleasure. Mm -hmm. And anything we do to violate the intimacy of that life source and the beauty of that relationship is from the pit of hell. And I say, no, thank you. You have no power and authority in this villa, in this home, and in this body. And I just used scripture and one by one by one, I think we got to, I don't know, 15, 17 names. I stopped caring. They began stopped to, counting. Yeah. I stopped counting and it didn't even matter because I realized that it's not by might or by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. So if we as doctors, as therapists, as business owners, as moms, as dads, as sisters, as brothers, if we neglect to, to take into account the spiritual world and how it works in the soul, the mind, the heart, the will, the conscience of a person, and the consequence that that has on the body, we're being negligent and we will never fully heal the whole person. When all of this was happening, it made me realize this has been happening to me for years. There were mornings that I would wake up where it was like... Most of your life. Yeah, yeah. But there were specifically mornings I would remember where, especially in high school and college, and it felt like, did I just have sex last night? Like, I don't... Something doesn't... It doesn't feel right. Like, it feels like something happened to me in my sleep, but I would blow it off. Like, oh, maybe I just dreamt that i don't know but it was really weird and i would just blow it off but then to your point of people who might not believe in these things yeah there are people who aren't gonna believe this but specifically i remember whenever i was telling trying to explain to my friends especially one of my closest friends like what was going on why am i staying at this villa in the middle of nowhere everyone's like that's weird like what do you mean you're staying there? What do you mean what's happening to you? And I'll never forget whenever my friend, she came to visit me 
and she spent the night with me. Finally, she was like, oh my gosh, I thought you were crazy. Like all the things that you were talking about, but she was there, felt it, witnessed it, saw what was happening to me at night. And from then on, she was like, okay, all of this makes so much sense. She didn't think I was crazy anymore. Yeah. And I mean, I, I oh, did you too. spent the night with us one night in Scottsdale. In Scottsdale. Yeah. That one was really gnarly because we were traveling with Jane, by the we way, were, to get yeah. her some help. Mm-hmm. We were. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you had told me about some of the things that had been happening. So I was prepared. I was like, I know what I need to do. Yeah, Cause I was happens. sleeping with Jane. Yeah. You were, you were with Jane. And I remember that starting where you started to go into convulsions and even like like crying like whimpering almost and I had been with you for about 20 minutes praying for you and Virginia heard it and started to come over and it was the moment you walked into the room it was as though I was in a metal press have you seen those where they crush metal like it's nothing my ribs felt like they were in a metal press, like they were just closing in and something was almost, I can't even explain the pain of it, but I was like, oh my gosh, if, if, if I'm going through this, I can't imagine what she's going through for me. And I'm so grateful for everyone that has witnessed and helped me through all of this because I, it's like, I black out. I have no idea physically. I know what's going on, but I have no words. I can't I don't know how to speak to explain what's happening. Well, there's a choking sensation. There's a crushing in the chest. There's no words. Speech is shut down. Yeah. And there were many times I saw you grab your throat and like you couldn't speak and you began to whisper letters Mm -hmm. and I had to get to the bottom of what and who we were dealing with. To see you get teary eyed, Natalie makes Mm -hmm. me. Remember, this kind of stuff, inner healing and deliverance and dealing with the spiritual constitution of the confusion, chaos and disease that often leads and seduces us into addictions and speaking to the spiritual constitution of this is almost like childbirth Mm. in the intensity of the moment. You just have to be all in. Yeah. Or it's not going to go well. Yeah. But after it passes, you think... I'm ready for the next one. Yeah. It's it's going to be easier. And you know what? It's exactly like that. It's like the brutality of childbirth. Once it passes, you know you can do it again, and you're almost ready for it. Mm. And that's what inner healing and deliverance became for us, although it is not the focus of my work. It's certainly not something we neglect. Yeah. Well, I don't Bef- think I could have ever fully experienced the power of inner healing had it not been for all the other internal work that oh. we had done through rest. I don't module think I one, ever- six weeks, module one will explain it to you and put it all in perspective because these can be unresolved conflicts that come down generational lines. These sometimes it's like Riley said last week, that was really compelling. This was something done to me initially as a child. And when I think of what's happening with children and how they're being, their bodies are being desecrated and the violation and how we have, our children are at risk now. These are spiritual and demonic things that we expose our children to. And something I want to say in closing, if you're addicted to pornography, if you're getting high in your home with children, if you think you're just having a party when the kids go to bed, 
If you're a swinger, you have no idea what you've just invited to have access to your children. Call me, email me privately. Natalie Riley and I will return every email, every phone call. Personally, I've never made this offer to anybody, but you need to take very seriously that in the beginning, God created. And if there's a God, there's a story of a great dissension. And he has a name. Evil has a name. It's Satan, deceiver, liar. He comes to kill, steal, and destroy. And addictions are simply a simple tool he uses to take us down. Mm-hmm. but we are more than conquerors. We're overcomers in this world. And the people that were created to govern were a man and a woman that were to procreate and do what? Have dominion over and govern. Mm-hmm. That was the gift. Yeah. The problem is three lies. Did God really say mm-hmm. that's not going to happen and you can be like God? Mm-hmm. It often comes disguised in, I want, I need, I deserve. Yeah. And then, here's a consequence. We dissent. Lies that we believe, that's why we're big on going after lies, cause us to do what? To become confused. When we become confused, what do we do? It's called, biblically, it's easy, it's sin, but sin's a violation of conscience. God put his law in the heart of every man. The conscience bears witness. Sin is simply when you violate your own conscience. We miss the mark. That's right. And you violate your conscience. Mm -hmm. And we all know when we do it. And what do we do? We cover, we hide, we blame. Right. But it's at that point of violation when we do what? We begin to experience this force field that almost keeps us down. It's called shame wrongness of being. So we're all about helping people stop with the blame, see what they're covering, hiding, right? From where, when, why, how, what caused them to cover, what caused them to hide? Where did they violate their conscience? What confused them? And what's the origin of those lies? And it's it's more complicated than that, obviously, but it's that simple and we can be free. So if you're struggling with an addiction, Please listen to the last podcast that we did, because at the end of the day, an addiction is a banquet in the grave. Riley, final words that are on your heart as we close. I mean, I know that this is just my story, and I don't think everyone is going to experience spiritual things, at least not to the extent that I did. And I have no judgment for people who are doing all of these things, people with addictions. I mean, I was there, the friends that I'm with, I have no judgment for any of that, but I think it's important that people understand what they're opening themselves up to. And like you were saying, you're only accountable for like what you were saying, Natalie, you're only accountable for what you know. And I think these things are just going to get worse. And I don't think people should just think that they're crazy if they experience something like what I've experienced, even if it's not even to that same extent. Um, those things are real. Judgments are a function of the soul. And I believe you have judgments about many things. It's another word that's been hijacked. Mm. What you don't have is condemnation for them. Right. You're not hoping mm-hmm. to condemn anybody. That's a function of like the flesh, right? But judgments are a function of the mind, the heart, the will of, of discretion discernment discernment so it's not the judgment to condemn it's the judgment to discern right and it's okay to have judgments don't let anybody tell you you're judgmental well what do you mean by that Mm -hmm. no i'm discerning 
What I'm not is condemning. Right. Those are separate yeah. things. So I thought I'd interject that. Yeah, I no, that was perfect. That was, <laughs> that was good. I mean, I can't condemn anyone because I've been there. You have compassion. Yeah. yeah, I have so much compassion and it's hard to even explain because I wish I could fully explain to people the things that I've experienced. I wish that they could have experienced it, but it's so difficult to put into words. You once used an analogy with me. Can you share the analogy of the house with the rats and the trash that you've used with me many of times? Because I feel like that's such an accurate description of the things that started transpiring. Sure. Dr. Charles Kraft years ago said to me, Virginia, inner healing is something that everyone needs, but few understand. And the church basically doesn't want to touch the subject. And that's why we find ourselves in the place we're in, among many reasons. But that's one of them. He's a cultural anthropologist, I might add, a scholar and an academic, taught at UCLA for years, and then ended up at Fuller for many years. But he said, when you're dealing with a person, think about a house. And a house that's cluttered with many things, almost like a house of hoarding. If you bought that house, or if you want to clear up that house, you want to clean up that house, right? What's the first thing you're going to do? He said, you, you need to get out all the trash, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Because if you don't get all the trash out, the rats, the rodents, the contamination that's in there, right? Mm-hmm. It's old, it's stagnant, it's got all this stuff in it. The rats just keep coming. But when you get all the emotional things out, the garbage out, then it's easy to go in and remodel that house and start all over. The rats have nothing to feed on. Yeah. So I want to be careful after this podcast that people don't look for a demon behind every every corner. Yeah. No, that's not true. We need to step into a place of rest, relational, emotional, and spiritual truth. So we can get all the trash out of the structure, our temple, right? Mm -hmm. The structure. We can get all the trash, all the garbage out, and then the rats have nothing to feed on. However, when the, there's been infringement trauma and it's been significant enough, they get in the walls, Mm. they get between the drywall. There's a lot of contamination that we got to rip it down and rebuild. Which is why that external fumigation of using affirmation, self-help, all of that didn't touch it. That's right. That's not enough. Good closing, Natalie. Thank you. That's it. (laughs) Thanks, Riley. Thank you. I'm looking forward to our next podcast where we get to address the beauty of being a woman, Mm -hmm. the privilege of being a mother, and the pilgrimage of both. And I'm excited to do that Mm -hmm. because it was ultimately the heart of a mom that caused me to hang on to Riley with everything I had at one, two, three, four in the morning, unexpected out of a cold sleep, and go to battle in a realm that I knew very little of for her very soul. Yeah. Thanks, Natalie. Thank you. All right, everyone. Don't forget our 40 Days of Rest Module 1 is officially released on demand. You can find it on our website in the drop-down menu under events. Register in on demand, then use the password sent to your email to access Module 1 of 40 Days of Rest anytime, anywhere for life. 
For updates about rest and this podcast, please visit our Instagram or Facebook, The Place of Rest. If you'd like more information about Virginia or to support and join the cause of rest, please go to virginiadixon.com forward slash collaborate or call 949-289-5935. Thank you for listening to Rest with Virginia Dixon. We'll see you next week.